0: Have no fear of missing out. The shows about FOMO, your host is Brian I tell you what you don't know. And now, your host, I Social Fan.
1: We're doing a full interview show, so this is this is good for that side. So uh, welcome, everybody, back to another episode of FOMO Fans. I am Brian Fanzo, uh, founder and CEO of iSocial Fans, live from Inbound, the podcast studio. Mm-hmm. Woohoo! Um, this is my third year speaking at uh, Inbound, and uh, I spoke yesterday. Uh, a lot of fun. This event is ginormous, but I've spoken three. The gentleman I have with me is a, is a friend of mine through the social world for a while. We've been connected, and... Uh, David, you've spoke at every one of the HubSpots? Every single
2: spots? one. I think it's 10 years now. Yeah, and the first time was 400 people in a hotel and we're at 24,000 in this massive convention center and spilling out into other buildings around the neighborhood, so it's remarkable.
1: 400 to 24,000.
2: Isn't that crazy? And you've got to love growth. <laughs> it's amazing.
1: And so I, I guess that's where I would love to... We're going to talk to you for a couple minutes. I know you're a busy man as well. Um, well I mean, from... Besides the fact the size has changed, um, the topics have changed. What are some of the things that you have, you know, from a, what people are expecting? I you know HubSpot as a product, of course, has grown tremendously, but I feel like Inbound is, is its own product now, you know, outside of HubSpot. What are some of the trends or the, the things that have surprised you or excite you as far as from 10
2: years ago at this event to where we're at now? What's interesting to me is that 10 years ago, the whole social thing was so unbelievably new. I mean, Twitter was what, a year old, and Instagram didn't exist, Snapchat didn't exist. I mean, it was back in the era that, um, oh my gosh, you're doing a podcast, that's really weird, you know? And, And so Inbound was like educating people on all these things that so many of us are already doing right now. And there still is some of that, but now people are like, what is next? Everyone's looking for what is next, and I'm sensing a little bit of a really back to the future retro as in like actual face to face imagine that and um, yeah and and how a, a lot of the speakers and i don't think it's just randomly based on the speakers i've listened to but a lot of the speakers are are talking about how to get away from your devices how to unplug how to enjoy actually interacting with human beings so to me that's fascinating and so I think that the idea that people are coming to Inbound to learn new things has never gone away, but the new things are actually surprising in that they are actually really, really old things that our grandparents would recognize.
1: And I love that. And on, during my session, I talked a lot about shrinking the distance online, right, with the goal of... Uh, one-to-one and one-to-many relationships being a lot of this uh, and I know you've written 10 books uh, and I think even you know I remember uh, Newsjacking being one that really stuck out to me um, you know I talk a lot about Twitter changing my life changing my world um, kind of shrinking the distance but it's also amazing because it is the power uh, I make the statement all the time that my dad told me to you know to learn how to play golf because business was done on the golf course and then I got on the I got on the golf course and realized nobody talked about business on the golf course. They talked about life and their, and who they are. And we we kind of forgot to do that online for the last nine years or so. And now it's more that humanized thing. So how, how do you look at that side, like of people either being more transparent, more vulnerable? Because I think that's probably one of the bigger trends I feel even in the last three years. Uh, I would say video has a lot to do with that. But what are your thoughts there on people kind of being a little bit more vulnerable, a little more open, you know, in this world where we are trying to go offline, be more. Connected? as humans
2: well what's interesting is that I've noticed that the, p- the people on social who um, let um, let us see a little bit of their personal life in besides just the business stuff uh, tend to be the ones that are most the most interesting tend to be the ones that have the most engagement you know it's the one the people who are just focused on always business 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 um, doesn't resonate as well in as a general rule than those who show what they're doing in their personal life and uh, and what they 're doing, you know in my case, like i 'm going surfing on saturday i 'll probably post about it, and i 'm um, tonight um, connecting with a couple of my friends who are well known musicians, and um, they 're going to do some gigging and i 'm going to be shooting a few photos, and maybe i 'll post a few and you know these are the things i 'm doing. What does that have to do with business i don 't know, but that 's interesting um, and you know the whole fomo thing i 'm um, won- wondering how many people are posting things uh, in in the way that i want you to feel that you're missing fear that you're missing out what I'm doing. I want you to, to, to see that I'm on this beautiful beach. I want you to see that I'm going doing this amazing experience that I'm meeting this really cool person. But I wonder if, extending that to something else that's even more fundamental might be a better approach. And I don't know the answers to these things, but it does seem like the more human people are on social, the, the more engaged they are and the, the more successful. And I think the more fun social becomes.
1: I agree. I agree. It's, uh, it's putting social back in social media, right? Yeah. Like a lot of it. And it's funny you say that because I think I spent, I spent three years or so trying to get people to uh, embrace FOMO. And then I realized not everyone likes living on that bleeding edge and always fearing the missing out. And so now I try to cure it. And I, it's kind of why this podcast even created was I don't want people to be to wish they were with someone. I want, to, you know, hey, I want to connect with people. I want to. And I think it's that world where if we only see the good side, we only see the filtered pictures. We now see through that. And we're like, wow, that person must be really bad. Like, you know, like they must have a lot hidden if they can only show the good. Right. I uh, I've been working with a couple brands recently, and one of the things I want them to do is create. An I don't know page on their website to actually talk about what they don't know as a brand, what things they don't do as a service That's kind of
2: cool, yeah. And
1: I think it's, supportive part of it's like, okay, we don't believe anybody is perfect. We don't believe anyone knows everything. And so if we already know that as a, as a kind of a, a underlying fact, why don't we put that out there so that what we do know, it actually adds validity to it, right?
2: And then and, and I know... Uh, Uh, somebody who created a failure resume. And I don't know if that's a thing, but (laughs) this this is the first time I (laughs) had ever heard of it. But their strategy to get a new job was, okay, you can look at my resume, but here's my failure resume. Here are all the ways I've failed in my career. I will list them for you on this bit of paper and post it online on my LinkedIn and on my on my blog, and I thought that was really awesome. I mean, how many people are willing to do that? That's That's how you stand out. Now I actually need to, re, to to recircle back and see if that person got actually
1: job. got jobs. And I was trying to think. There's no way I would put it all on one page, right? I would need like that rule of your resume <laughs> on one page. My failure resume would be three pages yeah, yeah, worth yeah, yeah. of worth of content. I'm curious too. You know, from you know, we've seen HubSpot change. We've seen the role of tools change. Uh, the conversation for those that are, are listening here. Um, I was in the the podcast lounge prior to um, you know this episode that we're recording, and my good buddy Marcus Sheridan was uh, interviewing and doing it for the Hubcast, so if you're a HubSpot uh, user, make sure you check out the Hubcast, but Marcus was talking to the uh, CMO of Vidyard and talking about video and uh, personalized video, and uh, I remember being here in 2016, and I left um, disappointed that HubSpot wasn't as much video focus. And the video conversations seemed like video from 1999 conversations. Um, this year, completely the opposite. It is all video. They're, they're storyboarding. And I've said this for a while that I think the power of video right now, because we can do it from our mobile phone, we can do it, is that anybody can do video. I think the reason majority of video sucks right now um, is because anyone can do do video, right? Like it's that, it's that catch 22. So what are your thoughts from, you know, from either marketing trends to your point of that offline connection being more real is what can people think about in their strategy today to make that more real without becoming this just content for content's sake?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that um, first of all, in defense of HubSpot, they, they, Oh my gosh! There are so many things that they could possibly do. I <laughs> mean, um, if you had a chance to listen to Brian and Darmesh's presentation, I mean, they could go up market to enterprise. They can go down market to individuals. They um, uh, they can spread out all over the world, which they're doing. They can go into sales, which they've done. They can go into customer support, which they've done. So the challenge is saying no. <laughs> right. I think that's our challenge too, as individuals, as individual content creators, as individual storytellers, as people on social media. Is where do you say no? And and I think that some of us naturally are good at video. And some of us uh, maybe don't really want to do video. So, um, you know, and it goes back to blogging. I mean, I started blogging, whatever, 15 years ago. And at that point, people, I'm scared of blogging. I don't want to do it. Well, that's fine. <laughs> Figure out what you can and should do. So I do agree that video is awesome for a lot of reasons. The visual aspect is fabulous. Video tends to get more interaction. Um, It's it's remarkable in many ways, but um, don't like stress and sweat and 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 become fearful if video doesn't seem like your thing because there are so many other things out there that you could do. I'd rather have someone have an awesome Instagram and love doing it and be really excited about their next Instagram post than fear trying to do a video.
1: I promise for those that are listening, this is so much aligned with what I say. And I, I didn't pay David. I didn't set him up to do this because I, I say it all the time is I think everyone has a story to tell. Yes. I believe we all should tell our story. In we our need to way. find our own way to do it, right? And I way. think going one path versus the other. I mean, and part of it, you know, my whole press the damn button, which will be my first book. You have 10. I have a long way to go.
2: Let me know uh, how I can help. Yeah.
1: I, and I will. I'll take you up on that. But from a press the damn button, the idea was press the button on telling your story. And if it's a pod, if you like to talk, but you're scared a video do a podcast if you like to write you know do it do a blog if you're really good at taking pictures be good on instagram and pinterest if you're love if you're you
2: graphically that. inclined do some really awesome infographics Yes. Can just get unbelievable um uh, reach
1: i think that's the i think it's the coolest part of the world I, I, I say this on stage all the time that i think we are living in the greatest time in history right Absolutely. now because no question we all have the ability. It doesn't matter where you live, what your resume is, what your background is. I actually took an Uber, and I'll, I'll get one more question in before I, I know you have to get out of here. I took an Uber from a gentleman um, from Somalia, and he's been here in the States for five years. And He told me, he was like, oh, this is a digital marketing conference that you're going to with HubSpot and Inbound. And he was asking me questions, and he said, why does it come across with all the digital marketers online like they're scam artists? And he was like, I came over here from the country. He'd have fill out this application. There was nine million people filled out an application. A hundred thousand were randomly drawn and then they were whittled down to 500. And he ended up being the 500. Oh. He is here running an Uber. He has an Amazon business and he has two businesses online where he's hustling, reselling electronics and all these things. And it was really interesting. And he, he was making the comment. I was like, well, I do video and stuff with video. And he goes, you know what video sucks? The ones where people are telling me that they know more than me, and the ones where they're telling me about their product, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, like this is what I'm." Would pre- you like to
2: come to this event with <laughs> me and be on my podcast? I told him I,
1: I I was blown away, but I also, you know, he was 29 years old and very driven, and you know, he was telling me a lot of the culture differences, and he has 24 siblings, which I was like, "Oh, wow, you know, like, just like so many things different." But he said, you know, he said something that was really interesting. And he said. I'm thankful that America, where I'm at right now, is giving me plenty of opportunities. He's like, but so many people haven't even figured out the opportunities they can do offline. It's no wonder no one's taking your advice online. And I, I, like this 29-year-old Uber driver Like, blew my mind. I was like, you're right. Like, that's part of this. Like, I do believe we're living in the greatest time. But if people don't press the button to do their own work offline, it's amazing that we still haven't figured it out. I mean, we, we shouldn't be amazed that we struggle with that online as well.
2: Yeah. And I, I think really what it comes down to is, is what we enjoy will be the direction we go. And you have to find what you're passionate about, what you enjoy, what's really, really interesting. And, you know, what did, what did you love when you were a kid? How can you relate that to what you're doing now and then draw that passion so you're like, this is really cool, and then use that to create something on social, use that to drive you to the things that you want to do. And, and I run across people, and you can sort of instantly tell if they've got that passion, and if they don't, you know, I'll, I'll be polite for a few minutes, but then I'm on to the next person because I want to find someone who's, like, really passionate about something I want to talk to them about.
1: So I'm curious. I'll, I'll let you get out on this one um, for next year. Or the next, let's just say the 12 months. I don't like doing far prediction. What, what, what are you talking about? What are you excited to uh, inspire audiences? You know, uh, for those that are, are listening to this uh, on the podcast, I'll put all of Don, uh, David's uh, details in the comments below. Uh, a great follow on social. Great human. Um, 10 books. But what, what's the moving forward? What's your What's the topics that you're excited to talk about?
2: Um, I'm um, constantly amazed at um, how and why people become a fan of something. Uh, why? Why have I been to seventy-two Grateful Dead concerts? What, what's about that? Deadhead. Why does my Why does my twenty-five-year-old daughter every year spend an entire weekend at Comic Con and and spend three hours putting on her costume every every morning and go with her friends to do that? And um, you know, why did she? Um, Um, go to the bookstore at midnight on the days that the Harry Potter books came out and start reading them in the car before she even got home. (laughs) What drives somebody to be a passionate fan of something? And how can any one of us tap into people who might be passionate fans for what we do? That is my mission over the next several years.
1: Love that. I've been to 41 Dave Matthews concerts. All so right. I, you get it? I, I, I get that 100%. Uh, so I'm right there with you. And that's impressive. Uh, I, true deadhead, uh, uh, a surfer. But uh, David, uh, your Ryan, time. Thanks a lot. Man. I, I truly appreciate, appreciate it. it. Uh, cool. this, is, this is awesome. I, I really appreciate much. it. See you so, next time. Yeah, we're going uh, to, for those that are watching live and for those listening here. So this is a live podcast. I'm going to bring Drew up. Drew's uh, a good friend of mine. We're going to talk. We're going to switch a little gears. We're going to talk a little bit of humor. Uh, and i I always say that i I try to be funny, but most of my funny is uh is self deprecating humor um yeah it's yeah uh, it's yeah i 'm pretty good at making fun of myself and uh, i 'm pretty good at stepping in it mm-hmm. um you know part of the reason that I like live video i, I always say is that uh, live video gave me the bumper. Because anytime something goes wrong, I'm like, see, perfection's a fairy tale. Right? So, like, I literally have foolproofed my entire plan, right? It's
0: so a, It's a brilliant strategy because then it shows authenticity that it's like, it doesn't have to be perfect. You either, like, video is interesting because I think you either go, like, live, in which case mistakes are kind of welcome. It's kind of like the improv version of comedy. And then, uh,. If you do like the manicured editing and all that, it's kind of like the stand-up version where people are expect the expectations are higher, which changes whether or not something feels successful.
1: It's kind of funny how that works. So, for those that are listening, uh, I have Andrew Tarvin up here. We had David Mirran Scott. David Mirran Scott is someone I've looked up to uh, for the longest time. Not only as a speaker, but as a pioneer in this space. Uh, one of the best speakers that's out there. I get to share the stage with um, a couple of the guys that I look up to as far as things I want to do in my career. Tony Robbins and around the world spoke here ten years. And Andrew, uh, actually, actually, I, I said this last night. I think it was the first time you had heard. Um, you've given you gave my favorite keynote that I've watched of 2018, hands down, not even question. Uh, we were at NSA, Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Uh, give us a little background. So, what was the title of that presentation? Um, and I mean, it was epic. We were st- we gave you a standing ovation before you even wrapped up. Um, I was lucky; I had front row. You were you were literally laying on the floor, literally laying on the floor uh, within like three feet of me. But um, you know. Give us a, Talk about that, that presentation. What was the title of it again?
0: Yeah, so the title was The future, future of Content Creation in a World with Creative Machines. And so the the theme of the conference was the future of speaking. And so one of the things that they wanted, like, what does 10 years down the line look like? And uh, I wanted to imagine that. And I think that AI, things like voice assistants, Alexa, uh, OK Google, all that kind of stuff, they're actually going to help unlock our human creativity. Because... The creative process actually benefits from structure, right? Like when we have constraints, it actually makes things a little bit better. And computers are really good at structure. And so I think computers are going to be able to help us. And so I imagine 10 years down the future what it would be like if we had a voice assistant that could help us. And so I acted out the scene. Rather than presenting to the audience, I just imagined you were a fly on the wall, me in the future, talking with my computer about how to create an actual talk. And it was a lot of fun because it was like, you know, for me, it was a new style of presenting. Yeah, I started on the floor pretending to be sleeping uh, with the computer waking me up and then asking me basically, okay, computer, what do I need to do today? And it giving me my agenda and then saying, okay, you need to work, you need to create this presentation. It's like, oh, cool. Okay, I need to tell a story, and it's like, okay, what do you want to tell a story about? It's like, oh, it should be about this. Oh, okay, cool. What was the context of that happening? And basically, through a computer asking prompts and questions, we create. You know, we have the creative process where it doesn't feel like I don't know if you ever like sit down in front of a blank sheet of paper and you're like, okay, be creative and go. (laughs) It's incredibly hard to do. Nothing happens. Exactly. So instead, if we can just answer questions, and it becomes a lot easier to have that creative insight to have that creative process.
1: And for those that you know are trying to picture this, so our good friend Tracy was the, the voiceover of your mm-hmm. computer. And this was like, she's backstage, the voice of God. Um, and you're interacting and it's so well scripted. You are improv, you are, it's just one of those things. And, and we were talking last night, we actually got to hang out uh, most of the day yesterday. Uh, other than the fact we spoke at the same time, again, um, mm-hmm. again. It, it seems like these events like to put you and I uh, at the same time. But one of the other pieces of this is it's not only futuristic, but you add, you know, improv and some humor to it. And one of the things we talked about last night that I want to kind of intertwine here because I think what you you were pushing the envelope with this with this um presentation and you weren't really afraid to do that. But I also think that comes to be with your humor background, mm-hmm. right? Not being afraid to, you know, do something and maybe the joke uh lands flat. But for a lot of our listeners, I think for a lot of people especially in digital marketing, I think this is a struggle where they look at humor or they look at improv as a Mm nice-to-have. We discussed this last night, and I would love for you to share that with the audience. Like, when someone looks at the value of humor or the value of improv in their marketing, in their sales... Where does that fit, and how how do how do we move that from going from a nice to have to something that is a game changer when it comes to building relationships, extending conversations, and really getting people to do what you want them to do, which is you know sell or buy from you at the at the end game.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I think one thing that I speak to real quick about the idea of like taking risks and things is that I, I think partially from an engineering background and also improv is that failure is just data. Right? Failure is just data, so if, it just means that you haven't been successful. and it's nothing about you as commentary so if I do a joke like in my session yesterday there was one joke that I was like this is going to kill and it was like kind of silent and I was like that doesn't mean that I'm not a funny person ever again and I'm never like I might as well give it up it's just oh that joke didn't work and so there's a logic to me figuring that out that's what we as comedians have to do that's why we get on stage that's why even the the greats are going to comedy clubs because they're just constantly working on material to see does this work okay no it doesn't well maybe I need to change the word choice and maybe I need to shorten it up so it's just Data to say, okay, how do I improve from here? Uh, and so I think that's one thing for people to keep in mind. But humor is incredibly valuable because uh, it works <laughs> right with humans. Right, as an engineer, I've always been good with computers, have not been as good with with people. And then I discovered improv and stand up, and it's like, oh, this actually gets results. Right, if you want to get people to pay attention, like if you've ever been sitting in. A session and you're kind of like checking in on your phone or you're like get distracted and then the person next to you laughs you're like wait a second well, what did i miss they had fun i want to have fun too <laughs> and so now they're paying attention sure. or like you need to manage your stress and so i think part of it is recognizing that humor isn't really a what it's a how right it's how you do your work it's a choice that you make so one of the things that i talk about in my programs is one smile per hour What's one thing that you can do every hour of your day, whether it's into a meeting or an email that you're writing or your commute home? How can you incorporate something that's going to make you smile or someone else smile? And you, you start to change it as kind of a mindset. So it doesn't become like, oh, we have to do this entirely like... Built-out program for it, but instead, oh, let me add something at the end of an email, or let me add a little bit of uh, content, or like, yeah, if you have a passion for drawing, let me add a cartoon in my presentations. Like my brother is a professor at Texas A and M, and he teaches like the rhetoric of, like the history of rhetoric and Western thought, and a very dry material, but he hand draws his slides because he loves drawing, and that automatically changes kind of the dynamic of the presentation.
1: It does, and it makes them memorable, right? I think that, you know, and I think uh, David, uh, you know, who was on earlier, you know, one of the things I thought with newsjacking was one of the things was, you know, how do you take advantage of a trend or you know, conversation, but how do you stand out from that conversation? Uh for those that are listening, that challenge is for everyone out there. One smile per hour. I love that. Uh the most popular tweet that I've had uh in 2018 was simply I'm challenging everyone to smile more every day. Uh I wear a shirt, I wore it yesterday, you, know, you saw it yesterday, uh, that says be good to people, right? I think in this world we're looking at right now, people need to smile more, people need to laugh more. Um and, and I another piece of this, you know, and I you and I share this, which I think is really interesting. You're an engineer. I'm a computer science major, Mm -hmm. right? We both kind of... We are not we are the exception to the rule. Like we you you went stand up but we were both full time uh professional speakers. Uh not normally the engineer or computer science path, right? Um, not but we also love the data. We I'm I'm a big believer. Um I go back and watch every one of my presentations and I take notes. Um we were talking about some of our favorite Netflix comedies last night, and I mean I watched Netflix with a notepad that I just had to, I just had to get a second notepad for twenty eighteen because I take so many notes. I'm watching comedy skits, I watch the Steve Martin uh the the dual Steve Martin conversation on Netflix and I was like, wow, okay. He opens his legs when he's, you know, he's uh, okay. That was a really bad visual. (laughs) He, He, he changes his feet position. Um, so where he he's more open and inviting for the person that he's interviewing so that it has that, that, uh, conversation. And I think that's really interesting, right? Like we are the data piece of failure. Where else does the engineering side of you help with sharing humor? Because I think for a lot of digital marketers, we're like, well, we're not funny or we're not humorous. I, I hear that all the time. Like, Brian, I'm not someone that's a public speaker. I was like, but you have something to say. And so where do you, where do you think the engineer, where, do, where does some of that really come into your value proposition of being funny or adding humor to what you do?
0: Yeah, so, well, my, my job title is a humor engineer, and like, if you haven't heard of it, it's because I made it up, right? I'm, but, a, cha-
1: I'm a change evangelist because yeah. I made it up as well, so exactly. we're, we're in the same boat there. The amazing well. thing, though, is when
0: you, you make something up, people start to refer to you as that. Oh, yeah. right? They start to be like, oh, yeah. Like it used, when I first started using Humor Engineer, if you Googled Humor Engineer, you got jokes about engineers, uh, <laughs> which great jokes, great jokes like um, you know, an optimist says a glass is half full, a pessimist says a glass is half empty, an engineer says a glass is twice as big as it needs to be. And see jokes like that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, exactly. But humor engineer now it's like me. And the idea is just like just like in computer science, right? As a computer science engineer, we would solve problems using computers. A humor engineer solves problems using humor. And that's like kind of the style or the dynamic. And and the reason why I love comedy is that to me it's kind of like math with words there's a logic to the comedic process and it's all a skill right humor is a skill means it can be learned speaking is a skill it means it can be learned and so what i've done is you know i've taken apart what works for comedians broken it down reverse engineered the process and applied it for my own self to be able to create humor and then also i've been able to teach it cuz the interesting thing is like if you're just naturally good at something it can be very hard for you to be a teacher of it because if people are like, hey, how do you get up stay up, up there and like, make people laugh and not be nervous? And if like, people have just been doing it their entire life and never really thought about it, they're like, uh, I don't know. You just do it.
1: Can you say that again? I mean, That is That is so important. And I think right now in this world where everyone has a megaphone, uh, just because you have it doesn't mean you should use it. Um, and just because you were able to do something doesn't mean you're good at teaching it. right? I, I love training. I love teaching. Um, I hated the old adage that those that can't do teach. And I was like, "That's crap. That is that is literally people that hate teachers." And I was a bad student in high school. Uh, I, I my ex wife is a teacher, so I, I'm I'm pro teachers. But I was never good as a student. But I'm I really pride myself in teaching people things. Right? I I say I translate the geek speak. I can take a very complex topic. And make it simplified to where we understand it. But to your point, like, and I think this is interesting, and for the audience, I know for, especially for FOMO fans community, you guys know I talk about how I build out my presentations. And my presentations, I have five key points and two elements of humor. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I first started telling people, like, they're like, Brian, well, you've, don't consider yourself funny. How do you like, and I was like, no, but I understand the value of humor. And I also think it's just as value as uh, just as valuable as those two points. And I also use humor in my presentation when I think my content gets a little dry. I use that as a place where I bring them back. And so to your point, like talk a little bit about that in, I think marketing right now, um, It's really boring. Marketing is boring. It's bland. Nobody likes to be sold to. No one likes to be marketed at. But every email newsletter starts with the same crap. Um, And sometimes when when I see them trying to be funny, it becomes too obvious or too much in their face. So what are some things that we can think of or maybe that you teach that says, okay, you know, because when I I do my humor elements, most of the time it is, you know, I I like to tell everybody that I love 90210, right? And I I make that a very uh, valid point that I'm a 90210 fan. Um, I also make fun of like the idea that, Millennials get participation trophies, yet we know who gave them mm-hmm. uh, participation trophies, their parents that are Gen Z or Gen X and baby boomers, right? Um, but what are some things that you teach in humor that, uh, where people can actually take this and implement it in, the, in their day-to-day life?
0: Yeah, so pro- I would say probably the most helpful thing to start with is what I call a humor map. And MAP stands for Medium, Audience, and Purpose. And so the medium, as you're thinking about how you're going to execute humor, what's the medium? Is it in an email? Like, is it a cold email with someone that you've never talked to before? Or is it following up with a friend? Or is it in a podcast? Is it in a speaking engagement? Is it on a phone call? Um, Because that's going to impact it, right? Because, you know, sarcasm works better in person when people can kind of see that you're being sarcastic versus they get a text and they're like, wait, there is no... Period. you didn't use a, an exclamation point you used a period are you mad at me
1: yes we, we, we've all done that way more times than we exactly
0: have although we're at the point now that i will joke as an engineer that uh with all of the emojis that our phones have like my phone is capable of expressing more emotion than i am
1: <laughs> that's true, true and i, and I use bit emojis like a boss yeah, exactly. so I, i've even gone that direction right it's a
0: great it. way to express yourself for sure and so then the second piece is audience right of your map is your audience who is going to receive that humor and what's your relationship to them. So a joke that I can make with you is different than someone that maybe I meet for the very first time or that I make with a client is maybe very different than someone who is a prospective client. So the audience impacts the humor that you use. And then the most important piece is the purpose, and that is why are you using humor? Because I think that humor is so valuable that to use humor just for the sake of humor, just because someone on a podcast told you to, is the wrong reason to. Instead, humor has so many important, like valuable attributes that it has that it's like, use it for the specific reason. Use use it, oh, because I want to get people to pay attention. Or use it so that I can help people understand something a little bit better. Making an association. So one of the things I talked about with the sales process yesterday is using humor as an association, if you connect to, say, pop culture... Then not only will people remember it a little bit longer, of like uh, like because they like Game of Thrones, but they're actually going to pay attention to it a little bit more. Like we were talking with, I don't even remember who we were talking with, and we were asking somebody about their session. Um, oh, we we're talking to Kyle, and he was like, "Oh, what session did you went to?" And he's like, "Oh, the guy talked about the different problems that we have, and like whale was one of them, and like the other, and he could immediately spout off what this guy had trained." Because he had made an association that we could all remember,
1: which is that I mean that's the key, right? And I think for I think for marketing, I think you know even a big event like this. Um, I mean, one of the reasons I started wearing a hat that had branding on it was that I, I was challenged uh, by my good friend Ted Rubin, and he said, "Ted said, Brian, you're going to South by Southwest for the very first time. Um, you're loud, you're obnoxious, you stand out from the crowd, but you cannot do that at South by." And I ended up getting a yellow Snapchat bag that had my Snapchat code on it. I wore a hat that said, are you following me? Uh, with my, my Twitter handle on it. I made the front page of the South by Southwest, Southwest uh, newspaper. And everyone knew. And part of it was like, for me, it was like, well... It's this idea of being memorable and figuring it out. And I love that you brought up something that I think can't be overlooked. You know, doing humor for for a reason, mm-hmm. right? And, and I'm I just I just recorded a video just last week uh, that'll come out next month, and I'll probably talk about it on the show later. But I to that point, like I have two pieces of humor that are. When I say pieces of humor. Two sections that I really put in my presentation. Each one is methodically thought out. Where where it's at in my presentation, and I can tell you, it juggles between three different slides because I read the audience. Right, if the audience isn't ready for that, or if I have them on the hook, like I'm gonna keep driving. I'm gonna preach because I preach. That's kind of my. We, we we all know that you you were in my presentation. Oh, you you've seen me present before. Um, but I think that's also one of the things that. When someone looks at humor, it's, well, I think when it comes off wrong is when it comes off forced mm-hmm. or without that reason, right? I think that's definitely something. Yeah,
0: that's like like it, really. it, I mean, it's like that scenario where if you've ever had like, and, and CEOs tend to do it. So I'm trying to work with a lot of senior leaders to not do this, where they'll come out and there'll be like a long meeting and they'll come out and they'll tell like a joke or a story and it'll be like moderately funny and it's something that they picked up from like a joke book or something like that. And then the remaining 59 minutes will be terribly boring. <laughs> and it will never relate back to the story that they Death started
1: but Death by PowerPoint started by a joke.
0: Right? Exactly, yeah. It's like that's not improving the situation. Again, it's not the what that you do to start, it's the how. Yes, it's great to start with a story so that you get people to pay attention, but it should connect. Like, So one of the most popular stories in my TEDx talk on the skill of humor is about my grandmother. But that specific story, it's very funny, and it's meant to do that so that people laugh, but... It also connects directly into the theme and kind of the to spoil it for the the podcast listeners, the big kind of payoff for the the joke is that my grandmother started texting and at one point she texted me WTF and I was like, call my grandmother and I was like, Grandma, what do you think WTF means? And she's like, Oh, well someone at Bridge told me it means, wow, that's fun. <laughs> like yep that's exactly what it means but then my point is actually you know what I realize that if more people thought like my grandmother thought WTF wow that's fun things would be a little bit better and then I go into the rest of the talk so not only is it a funny story to get people to pay attention and say hey this is something different but now it's very directly connected to the theme of my talk and I bring it back at the very end with a callback which is very popular within comedy and it's so now it's all interwoven throughout so it's not just hey here's a funny story and now listen to me talk boring but here's a connect Connected. here's a how piece it's integrated with my brand and when brands do it it becomes something that you follow like the Wendy's Twitter account is hilarious Hilarious. the hustle newsletter is something that I read pretty much every single day because they have humor throughout it when, when it becomes a pattern then people want to engage with you even more and, and it's like um, one of my favorite comedians is Eddie Izzard and he has a great bit Called Cake or Death. And he imagines, like, the Church of English uh, eventually getting to this point where there's a scenario where there's a line of people and they get the option of they can either have cake or they can get death. And he does an act out where it's like, okay, what do you want, cake or death? And the first person's like, "Uh, cake. Right? Because that's an easy choice, choice, right? Cake or death. And it's a great bit. But in reality, like, life is kind of like that, right? Like, would you rather interact with a brand that is the equivalent of cake that's fun or interact with a brand that's incredibly boring would you rather go to a meeting that you're going to actually smile in or one where you're going to like pull your hair out would you rather read an email that is like just all the facts about the other person or one that has like interesting gifs or uh you know friday shower thoughts from a hustle that they get from reddit or whatever it is oh the one that's more fun you're going to do
1: which i love and i love that and i We're going to dive into this more and I'm I'm going to, I'm going to ping you for the new interview show that I kind of uh, talked about earlier we're gonna do a, a very fun interview show for those that are listening they know that my favorite podcast at the moment um, is armchair expert it's hosted by Dax Shepard from Ponkt and then uh, Parenthood and I think one of the things he does really well is he he, he adds some humor he adds um, some great conversation but he also really kind of breaks things down in, in a simple you know simplistic way uh, and I you know from an event like this where we are right now live at inbounds uh, HubSpot event um, and we have a couple more men left on the podcast i'm curious what your thoughts are like i mean this is a marketing event or marketing sales let's say that for the most part i mean what do you think of you know these giant events right i think this is another one where uh, actually the two of us were we were we were up in the rafters area watching down on i tell you what one of the coolest things i've seen here at this event was 19,000 people listening to the ceo of hubspot give his presentation and we were watching it from the bird's eye view and it's just amazing watching all these people but to David's point, and it's something that I preach all the time, is I, I really do believe in the human connection. Um, I don't believe anything that we do online replaces what we do offline. I think it amplifies it, it scales it, it allows us to have richer conversations offline. What are your thoughts on big events like this? Like how do, you know, I think this is one of those ones where people want to stand out and people want to, you know, do something different. what, what, do, what is your takeaway from a inbound with 24,000 people?
0: Well, it's my first one, so I'm the, the, the opposite, the opposite. Of, of David. Yeah, but it's been, I think it's been fascinating. And I think the, the thing that I think about with any of these types of contexts, uh, these, these events, and even with my own programs is, you know, you, you mentioned people want to do something different. Or I went to Ohio State, and when I was there, the theme was do something great. And what I've realized is that to do something great, you actually have to do something
1: Press the damn button.
0: You have to press the damn button. You have to, like... And I think that's the one... Like, I think these types of things are great because they can provide certainly motivation some inspiration like shonda Rhimes, this morning was fantastic um she was incredible just kind of hear her speak and kind of get motivated from that we can go to these sessions where we get all these like list of notes of all these action items to take but i think ultimately the question is will you do something differently as a result and that's what i challenge my audience to do is like listen in the course of 45 minutes if you can get one idea one thing maybe it's even the fact like i share an example of a guy who followed up with me, he sent me an email, which I didn't respond to. And a week later, he sent me the John Travolta meme, you know, the meme from Pulp Fiction where it's just John Travolta, like looking around <laughs> his oh, entire yes. set, his entire email sub or, uh, content was just that meme. And it caused me to respond. So even if you just do that as a way to follow up with people to use that exact meme, great. At least you're going to do something differently as a result. And as an engineer, that's what I love. And so I I love that we're bringing people closer together. I do think that the human connection is very important. I think, you know, you asked David the question of what's he interested in. I'm doing a lot on emotional intelligence right now, which is maybe interesting for an engineer to do. Um, but that's the one thing that currently separates us from machines and will as AI picks up more and more and as it replaces the finance industry in some ways and replaces car insurance and replaces you know all these different areas. The one thing that's always going to be unique and different to us as humans is the emotional connection and that you get in a much stronger way in person.
1: I love emotional intelligence. I actually did it for those that are listening. I think uh, the episodes in the 50s. Uh, of this show, and I talked a lot about that. I think, you know, and for me, I think it's interesting, like, oftentimes I'm getting hired because someone relates to me because I have ADHD. Uh, someone relates to me because I have three daughters. Uh, someone relates with me because I'm not afraid to admit my failures, which to David Meerman Scott's point earlier, um, if I had a failure resume, it would, it would kind of grow. And I think we have, we have some live audience here, so I don't know if anyone has, uh, any questions for either, uh, Andrew or I, but I would love to take a couple questions if you guys are interested. But before we get to the, a question, if you guys are, uh, wanna ask one, Um, You know, the other piece of this, I think from, you know, I talked about FOMO and usually and even David's comment was like, well, I don't want people to inspire more FOMO by being more fake. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a problem, right? I think, right? I think the world and I I think for the last nine years um, since David's been speaking here (laughs) um, that we've used social, we've used digital to get further away from the human condition, right? I think we've been automating. I love the GIF email reply because the thing that doesn't work for all those marketers is emailing me again and saying, just in case you missed this, uh, and then waiting three days and then emailing again, just bumping it up in your email list, uh, that's when I put block and you have no chance of ever getting back in, in my box. But I think I love, I love that story. I think the, the, the gift humor, I think adding things in there um, is, is an interesting uh, way of doing things. So I'll uh, be really interested to see where you take uh, that emotional intelligence and where things go from there.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I mean, you know, um, Ian Altman, I was just on Ian's podcast, who we both know, yes. great guy in sales. And he gave an example of a sales guy who used to start his cold calls with, uh, hey, this is a sales call. If you want to hang up right now, you can. <laughs> and he said more and more people would listen because when the, the beauty of humor is when you use humor, people were like, oh, that person understands me. And they've just made me laugh, so I'm actually going to give them a little bit benefit of a doubt. Same thing with like sending that type of GIF, right? It, It comes back to people with high humor use are. It's correlated to emotional intelligence. That's that to me is where the intersection is, and I think it's fascinating stuff. And I think, I mean, you mentioned FOMO. I think. Maybe it's me because as an introvert, I also have Jomo. Whether you know the joy of missing, missing out, out sure. of like, hey, I'm perfectly cool being home right now, not in front of a bunch of other people. And it's been interesting because Beth talked about it, and Shonda talked about being an introvert both times here at Inbound. And I think my one caveat is that I I don't want people to think of introversion as a thing that they have to overcome, right. like that it's a negative in some way. But it should be, it's a positive. But Everything that we talk about, whether it is, again, humor or presentation skills or networking, what, these are all skills. And if they're skills, and they, that means that they can be learned. And then just as introverts, we just know that we recharge by being on our own and setting our schedule. Like, I talk to people, are surprised that as a stand-up comedian, improviser, speaker that I'm an introvert. And it's like, no, I love this. I love what I do. I love talking to people afterwards. I love network. I'm just also going to be very happy when I don't see any of you later.
1: <laughs> and, and the crazy stat that I talk about a lot, 91%... Of public speakers are introverts really and so i'm the I, i'm the 9% there <laughs> on that side of the house where i get my energy from people and crowds mm-hmm. which but i i tell people that all the time that it's not you know it's not that it's, it's that weird world where you have to be, you have to be okay with what we're doing. And it definitely is a craft and it's something mm-hmm. that you practice and, you know, the hours that we spend on that side. But I'm glad you brought that up because it is interesting hearing, you know, Shonda Rhimes and even some of the, you know, the best speakers. I, you know, like, I, I think you know, we see the Tony Robbins or the Gary Vanerchucks or those that are fire, fire, fire in your face that, that fuel off the audience. Um, but there is a kind of the exception to that rule as well. And I think for, for me, I think, I, I think the lesson I, you know, when it comes to humor, it comes to what David was talking about, I think one of the most important Skills is self awareness, Mm -hmm. like knowing how you recharge. Um, I'm the guy that I run around a little bit too busy. Um, I don't know how to shut off, but I've been much better in 2018 finding times in my day, finding things in my life to figure out when to go. Like even last night, like uh, going home at 930 um, at any event night that I go is rare. Like I don't go to bed at 930 uh, at an event. I, I, I will pull that at home sometimes. But because um, I'm like the FOMO, I like to stay out. I will close down the bars uh, maybe too often. I you know I've become better at <laughs> figuring that out. But um, I don't know. Does anyone that has any questions out here on the audience for no questions? All right, here we go. we got one question. Let's see the microphone. Well, just something you were just talking about trying to shut off—that's pretty much impossible for me. Uh, and it was interesting. I had uh, a haircut just a couple of days ago. I don't know where the barber went this way, but he's like, "I bet you, you you never stop thinking. You never can let that go. You can. You're already thinking of this." And it was supposed to. He's like, "You're here for a nice shave. It's a hot towel shave." And I He "says I just want you to relax and just forget about it all." You know. Meanwhile, I'm going through the hundred emails I haven't responded to and all the other things. Um, and so at the end, he tried to give me some tricks, which won't won't work, but do you have any trick or was any, have you found anything that might work for you in 2018 to, to shut off? Do you have any, do you want anything, anything? Uh, A couple of things.
0: Like it used to be like, I used to be someone that could fall asleep immediately upon my head hitting the pillow. And then I started my own business and that changed. (laughs) And (laughs) part of the thing that changed though about is that we're so connected to our devices that sometimes when you lay down, it's the first time you've had time to think all day. And if you read a lot of research, whether it's on Benjamin Franklin or Warren Buffett or a bunch of, like, different people, they talk about the value of just think, thinking, right, of daydreaming in a sense. And so what I do is I, I exercise or go for walks as a way to force myself off of devices, um, so that I'm not constantly in my phone because then it just starts to matriculate. Oh, I should work on this thing, and then I could do this and all that. And then it allows me to like free some of those thoughts a little bit. So I think mindfulness, whether it's meditation and it's a specific practice that you do, I'm not good at just sitting there and being mindful because then I either fall asleep in a nap or I just like get up and start working again, but forcing myself physically to do it helps. And uh, Gretchen Rubin, who wrote the Happiness Project and everything, she says she'll create environments where... Uh, she can either only think or either do – sometimes we're like, oh, for her writing, she's like, I get myself into a room where there's no Wi-Fi, I can't nap, and it's either I sit there and do absolutely nothing or I do the one task that I'm supposed to work on. And she's like, that allows her to have focus as well. And so I think creating an environment where that's set up for whatever you're trying to achieve in that moment helps, and I think mindfulness is a big piece of that.
1: I like that. I like that a lot. I think there's – you know, for me, um, my daughter's called airplane time. You know, which is airplane mode on your phone, right? And they just know that I. And I used to be, I would put in airplane mode, and I'd set it down on the table, and then I would be playing with my kids, just looking at my phone, like I have no idea what notifications I'm missing. Like this sucks. Um, so then I like, I, I have an uh, Apple Watch. I'm not wearing it at the moment, but I, I now have the Apple Watch where only certain notifications go to my my wrist. So rather than going to airplane mode, I put the phone somewhere else and know that if you know if it's my ex wife, it's certain people that email me the VIP list that I get notified. But it's probably prioritizing my notifications, I do that on my devices. So the same, if I have my iPad Pro in front of me, there's only a few pop-up notifications that exist, because when I'm on my iPad Pro, I know that I'm doing certain type of work. When I'm on my MacBook, I even have that listed. So I, I like to say I throttle notifications on my devices. And then the other piece of this, and this actually came to something you said, I started to realize I'm really creative in the shower, and I was like, why am I really creative? I came up like one of the book topics or one of the chapters of, of this first book was really just born in the shower because I was, I, I, to your point, I, I forced myself. I'm like, today is the day I'm going to write this last chapter that I need to write. And really what that meant was nothing. I sat around being frustrated, pissed off at myself. I couldn't be creative. Um, and then I was taking a shower and all of a sudden something came to me. And I hit the voice recorder. I, actually, I just said, hey, Google. Oops, sorry, I said that on here. Now everyone's Google's gonna, uh, Google Home is going to go off. But I, And I just said record, and I recorded my thoughts directly from the shower, and I realized that was something for me. And so one of the things I started documenting, and I the, the new iPhone uh, iOS 12 actually gives us screen time data, which is really interesting, because I like to... Uh, I'm an engineer type. I like to analyze myself, right? So, like, what time do I use my phone? When do I not use my phone? And what I realized was I wanted to find out in my day when do I not care about notifications. And it's usually when my daughters are talking to me, or when I am truly binging Netflix, like when I there are some shows I love, I can binge watch the hell out of some TV, and I've now found that I go out of my way to binge. like I will find a show. I'm watching Shameless right now um, on Netflix. I'm late to the game. Uh, I think I'm gonna, on season four of Shameless, but I will I will spend four hours late at night watching Shameless, where the Gary Vee world, it says, oh, if you're spending time watching Netflix, you're not spending time doing your work. Well, what I found out was, if I spend time binging Netflix and it gives my brain a break, that next morning, I'm twice as productive, twice as motivated, because I found the time to give myself a break and just enjoy. Like I, I That's the hardest part for being an entrepreneur. Um, It's something that I really... Not, it wasn't even disconnecting. It was giving myself a break. Right Because like you know I, to the point where if I watch a comedy show uh, on uh, netflix it's not it's not the same because I have a notepad where yeah, i 'm taking worked. notes on body language i 'm taking notes on word structure, and so that, that's my advice on that um, I, I another piece of that I think from a, a standpoint of figuring it out is I also love hanging out in person and I have a couple of people in my life that refuse to let me be on my phone. I have a bunch of friends that are social friends that we, we if we're all at a table, we all are on our phone the whole time. We're, like, we're the people that the parents look at and like, God, Kids have no social skills these days. They're just looking at their phone. Uh, and I'm like, no, we're actually talking to like 300 people at the same time. But um, I think that's the other piece is having a couple people in your life that will not give you that chance. My brother is one of them. If I am out with my brother and I pull out my phone at dinner, he throws the phone off the desk. Like he just he – he does not hold any punches. So that, that would definitely be something that I would go for. So
0: yeah, I like that cool. question. A couple quick phrases to potentially Google just because we don't have time to go into them. Uh, strategic renewal. Uh, is the idea of that you strategically take a break so that you become recharged, right? It's the idea of like, if you're like, I have to get from New York to California the fastest way possible, but I have to drive. Uh, Some people are like, well, I'm just not going to stop for gas. You're like, wait, no, that would make no (laughs) sense. Whatever, you have to refuel. Humans are the exact same way. Creative pause so that's exactly that's the phenomenon that you're talking about. When you get into the shower, you are more creative. It's called a creative pause. And there's research on why that is valuable. So certainly there's different shower is one but other things that you can do to incite that creative pause. And then just from a very strategic one is Pomodoro technique in terms of a way of working in increments 25 five that like is helpful to force you to do that.
1: I love it. I love it. And for those that listen to this show, you guys know I have ADHD and I love to talk about everything, anywhere, anything. Like, I, literally, squirrels can distract me. Uh, we've talked about a little bit of everything here, uh, at this, on this episode. Uh, I want to thank David Marion Scott. Uh, he is, uh, DM Scott on the Twitters. Uh, make sure you follow him. I'll put some of his stuff in the show bio. Give us, where can we, where can we follow you there, Mr. Andrew?
0: Drew Tarvin on all of it.
1: Drew Tarvon everywhere. There we go. Consistency matters. I, I preach that. Uh, and I thank everybody here that's watching, uh, the, the podcast live. Uh, for those listening on the audience, I will give you a little bit of a, a recap of the event, uh, at the end. Um, so stay listening, um, here for the next couple minutes. Uh, I'll give you a little recap from the event. Also some of my thoughts on, uh, some of my guests, but, uh, this is a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, uh, to the FOMO fans podcast. Shout out to my sponsor, Iographer. Uh, Iographer, I'm using their case right now to live stream, um, here. They're also carrying their book bag. So uh, I only work with brands that I'm actually using their products, and I got proof because I'm using two of them right now. So uh, thank you, Ira, for for, uh, sponsoring this episode. Thank you, Mr. Andrew Tarvin. Thank you for the live audience. Until next time, guys, find a way to show you care. Go above and beyond to let people know you care about what you do. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, you no know, man, that was a, a whole lot of fun. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed, uh, you know, those two really insightful interviews I had with David Marin Scott and Andrew Tarvin. Uh, as I said during the show, you guys can check out the show notes if you want additional details on how you can get a hold of those guys. But um, yeah, I'm here at this uh, inbound, uh, HubSpot inbound event. Uh, there's somewhere 25,000, 27,000 people. But I, you know, I, I'm I very blessed. I get the opportunity to go to these amazing events and, and you know, kind of travel the world. And, and this event is one of the bigger events. Um, and let's just caveat that. Um, I, always don't think, I don't always think bigger is better when it comes to events. I think a lot of events... Struggle to scale. A lot of events struggle to continue to give that personal touch. Um, you know, I know for my during my session, I think there was eleven or ten uh, other sessions going on at the same time. Which you know, for attendees, that's a real um, hazard that, that, that causes a lot of angst um, for people picking what track, what session. If you pick the wrong session, um, these sessions also all sold out. Um, you know, my session sold out as well. Um, where you have to register for the event ahead of time based solely on the title and the description of the event. And then once you register for one event, you can't, one session, you can't register for another one. So you have to pick very wise, Wisely, but um, with that being said, you know I really do enjoy this event. Um, it's really interesting hearing from all these different marketers coming from all different backgrounds, from inbound marketers to outbound marketers to account-based marketing to search engine optimization. To some people that have been in the game since print ads were before digital, to some people that are getting into the game now with artificial intelligence and things that are going on. You know the definite theme this year um, compared to 2016. Um, was that video was actually being talked about? Not should I be doing video. But where does video fit in the workflow? Where does video fit in the sales funnel? And I found that be a very interesting discussion. Um, my good buddy Marcus Sheridan, um, of course, one of my favorite speakers and a longtime friend, um, talks a lot about the importance of video and, but also crafting um, your video for different phases of of the sales funnel. So if it's top of funnel, bottle of funnel, if it uh, you know really depending on how you want to leverage the video content. And for those that are listening, I think most of you know that I do some accountability work. I have a couple clients that I do video workshops for. Um, I also do storytelling workshops. But I I think the other thing that I wanted to share about this HubSpot inbound event was I saw a lot of very – I I met a lot and I connected with a lot of my old friends of marketers or I would even say entrepreneurs – That want to get better at being dialed into what is going on in marketing, but also understand the importance of offline networking. And I guess one of the things that I think I took away from inbound, um, not only the content that was on stage, but having a, being, having the opportunity to chat with some of the vendors. I got to sit with my, my friends over at 23 Video and SEM Rush. I got to talk to Ryan over at Digital Marketer. And one of the things that everyone kept saying was that, the offline connections, the the one to one, the 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 true, you know, sharing of information, looking each other in the eyeballs, was really what the magic of that event was at. And for me, you know, this is something that I'm very blessed to be able to do uh, every week, sometimes multiple times a week, as I get to attend um, these conferences around the world. And I know for a lot of people, they get to go to one conference a year, or maybe one conference every other year. And to me, one of the things that really stood out about HubSpot Inbound Event is that everyone that was there was really dialed in on thinking, how do I how do I take what I do offline and take it online, but at the same time, how do I get the most value out of the event that I'm at? I mean, I had a lot of people that tell me, Brian, sorry, I'm not going to attend your session. I've seen you speak before, and I have these goals for me that I want to do, blah, 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 blah. And so I guess I wanted to share, you know, based on you know, I had a great conversation with David, great conversation with Andrew. And one of the things they both kind of highlighted on was emotional intelligence and the importance of understanding your customer and what turns somebody into a fan of a product. And here's the thing that's really interesting is you have to be a little willing to listen and invest in conversations. And I think for marketers, especially in the digital space it was a lot of broadcasting, a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming at people, a lot less of a stance of how do we connect? How do we better understand? And I guess this is where I want to go is I no longer care about the sales funnel. I now care more about the customer journey. And I understand you know that those two things can be overlapping, but I think to understand what our customers want, What our customers need, where our customers find value in our our content is extremely important. And so when you're building out content right now, when you're thinking about marketing online, what I want you to think about is and this goes into my think like a fan philosophy and it was really the staple of uh, of inbound this year was how do you build trust and then how do you build content that builds trust? And then how do you build content that is for different phases of the journey, right? If someone comes to you and has no idea who you are as a brand, the content that they need to, to, to be served up to get to know you is a lot different than a returning customer or someone that has been around in a while. And so... I think this is exciting times when it comes to, um, the future of marketing. I think we are, we're moving much more to a world where we are connecting human to human online. Um, but it's also, uh, we have a ways to go and, you know, it's, it's funny coming from an event, um, that had 25,000 or 27,000 people. And my takeaway was the importance of one-to-one, um, It's funny how that works, but I think that's for something that we can all um, take away. And then, you know, another thing, I guess maybe the last part of uh, this event is you have to be willing to adapt. Uh, When I was here in 2016 at HubSpot Inbound, you know, they talked about video, but they didn't really embrace video or amplify video or get – the right people on stage, in my opinion, um, to truly talk about video. And this year was completely different. The video conversation was very insightful and intelligent. They talked about it on all different fronts from social video to YouTube, to LinkedIn video, to, um, even Vimeo was there. It was uh, a really in-depth video, but you know, I, I really enjoyed, um, the conversations from the main stage at Inbound, where they are talking a lot about, hey, we have to change how we're doing business. And as we get bigger, but also as we get into this new world, consumers are changing, business is changing. But the one thing that's not changing is the need for trust. And we just need to figure out how do we do that? How do we do that at scale? And then ultimately, how do we continue to embrace that change while also building trust along the way? So guys, you know, I think that's my takeaway from this event. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this interview series. Um, I am going to be doing a little bit more interviews over the next couple uh, months, so guys stay tuned to that. Um, if you love this uh, interview, make sure you guys give some love uh, to David Meerman Scott and Andrew Tarvin on Twitter or Instagram wherever you are are connected. Um, let them know that you appreciate their time jumping on stage. Uh, it was a lot of fun doing a live, interv- live podcast there at Inbound. Um, it might be something I'm going to be doing a little bit more at some of these live events that I go to. So uh, stay tuned for more of that. But until next time, make it a great day, my friends. Cheers.